This week's episode of Hey, I think we're good here. I'm one of your co-hosts, Jackson Metakekia. And I'm Matt West. And we're here getting to know the sport of volleyball through the life experiences our guests have to share with us. Come take a listen. Our guest today needs no introduction. She is the head coach of the Florida Gators, Mary Weiss. She's one of the winningest coaches of all time in female sports. She's a tremendous advocate for the growth of the game and just what an amazing person. We discuss everything from her start in the game to her unique path, from head coach at Iowa State to graduate assistant at Kentucky and to becoming the tenured head coach of Florida. It's full of great stories and about how the game has evolved and what it has in store for future generations. Enjoy, she is awesome. I hope you guys enjoy this. Morning. Morning. How are you? Good. I appreciate you uh, jumping on early. I understand it's early for you. No, 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 no problem at all. Actually, it's late here because I'm in Turkey. Oh, okay. Did not know that. Yeah. So this is great for me. That's why I said uh, if you want to move it up, we can move it up as early as you want. Yeah. I guess I was just assuming West Coast time. No, no, no. That's perfectly fine. My co-host, who unfortunately isn't going to be able to jump on with us because he has a recruiting call that he needed to be a part of, obviously. Um, he's on West Coast time. So usually we have to schedule more around him. Gotcha. But since it was just going to be you and I, then I said, why not push it? And then I can give you a little bit more time in your day. Perfect. Thank you. Thank you very much. Of course, no problem. Well, welcome to the podcast. So you are Jackson. I am Matthew. I'm using Jackson's Zoom information because he can pay for it. I'm just some okay. guy slumming it in Turkey, you know. Okay, no problem. Right. I just want to make sure that, but you are, and you go by Matthew. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, yes, I prefer Matthew. Most people call me Matt, Matt West, but yes, Matthew, I love Matt. Matthew. That's what your text message is. Okay, I got it. I got it. No worries. We're on the same page. But um, so just to get into it, the easiest way we start is always, how did you get into volleyball? Um, so, so long ago, um, <laughs> volleyball was um, actually kind of like a filler sport um, okay. because I grew up at a time where it was the norm. If you, as a female athlete, you, you played more than one sport. Okay. truly it kind of crazy but that was it that if like like friends that were tennis players all were on the badminton team or if you played um basketball you were also playing softball and volleyball and okay. basketball was just the sport i was introduced to first right. and volleyball was the filler that, you know many many years ago and yeah. then i just fell in love with the sport well and then you ended up you ended up going to purdue did you play for don when you were at purdue I, I predate um, that era. Sean yes. yes. Uh, I predate D Dave that uh, uh, by, a, by a few years, I actually, I played for a woman named Carol Dewey for a while. Carol was the all-time winningest coach in Purdue history. Amazing. And, so, That's so cool. and she was just ahead of her time. Yeah. Um, she convinced the administration to put monies into the sport and promoted and she was set, um, really a visionary and and you know looking back on it um well actually it didn't take long for me to realize how fortunate i was to play for her at that time when when it was just the beginning of schools providing right resources yeah. and you can't imagine the, when i say resources it just took a little bit of money to separate because there was no money few scholarships um yeah, yeah i've been in the game that long that's so cool well just thinking well i just think about it now from my generation in the gap between an sec school and a wcc school of going to pepperdine and everything and just traveling to the uclas and the scs of the world and then being at pepperdine 
we have this much money and they have this much money or whatever because they have football. So I'm just trying to put it into perspective, I guess. Um, oh, you know, that the norm was, you. it was a one, it was a 15 passenger van. Oh. And that's how we traveled throughout the Big Ten. You know, and I could tell those stories now, but I know there are men's teams today. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That, that that is how they're living. And I think having been through it, I, I like to think, and having two boys of my own, unfortunately, neither played volleyball because it just wasn't available to them yeah. um, here in Gainesville. I, but I'd like to think I'm much more aware of the discrepancies and what it's like to to play for the love of the game that's why i think the men do um yes. you know with a 25 man roster limited scholarships no travel monies they don't get the multiple uniforms like like you know a, a yeah. power five team does but they're playing they're, they'll go anywhere to play and um i think that's true what that was the women that's what it was like for us decades ago that's so cool then how did you how did recruiting work at that point in time or did you just get into Purdue and say I'm going I'm going for the volleyball team you're gonna uh, laugh there was a time when um it was tryouts oh, and yeah. you tried out for um for teams now I'm gonna give you the backstory real quick is that okay. Purdue had a scholarship they offered to in a great player her name was Kathy Stuckel she went to she was from Champaign, Illinois, a left-hander, a great arm, um, significantly better than me, like light years better than me. And she, uh, Purdue offered her the scholarship. She chose Southern Cal. Okay. So um, with this extra scholarship and the head coach, Carol Dewey, was trying to make some changes just in terms of the persona of the team. So she took a chance on not a highly skilled player but she saw um, some athleticism and thought she's going to take a chance. And she took a chance and the rest is history. That's awesome. You were a setter, correct? I was a setter. Uh, but again, how different the game is. I was not a setter in high school. How crazy is that? I know. I look, I, I look, that's at great. Face. I think that's awesome. No, I was just an, uh, an average outside hitter truly with not great ball controls. I mean, I, I should never be recruited, but, but you understand there was so limited recruiting. Right. I mean, I mean the um, the level. There were some great players at USC. Don't get me wrong, but there, that was not true across the Midwest, or certainly not in the, the East or the South like it is today. Perfect. And so I did. I came to, to came to college and learned how to set. Do you think that now, obviously with specialization, everything going on, do you think more of it is just a product of kids are able to see more volleyball. So then they're able to get more volleyball out of the world. Cause I guess even for me growing up, it was so hard to watch volleyball unless you had tapes or oh. maybe, maybe world league would play. And if you were lucky enough and had TiVo, you would could mm -hmm. record some TiVo games, yeah. but yeah, just, I, I don't know. No, Matthew, you're exactly right. And I think, um, I have so many thoughts about that exact su subject that bo little boys growing up watch basketball and football and baseball on TV yeah. at will. And, and they grow up modeling and imitating. I mean, I can remember my own sons, you know, that, that uh, they would imitate player, you know, how they were in the, with the motions they went through before they shot a free throw. Yeah. Well, as females, in the, especially in the sport of volleyball, at, for years, there was limited access to watch great players on TV. I think that the SEC network, the Big Ten, you know, the, televi the television yeah. has done more for our sport um, than you can imagine. There was a time where we thought what was going to happen to volleyball with the launch of the WNBA, with all the great athletes go to the NBA, the WNBA, because of the money and the, res you know, the resources and the television exposure. And maybe that would have, it didn't happen, but maybe it's because with the launch of, of TV matches and young girls getting to see players, we still don't, as a gender, we don't watch sports 
for the fun of it, like, like males do. Yeah. That, that's been proven. That's socialization. You know, I can't, I don't know why, but that is what it is. Right. But girls, they are at least watching more now than we used to. For sure. I've just always found it odd that we, the U.S. has the three greatest beach volleyball athletes that I can think of with Missy May Trainer, Carrie Walsh, and Karch Karai. And I don't know, I don't know who dropped the ball on that one, but we had an amazing resource with those three athletes to promote the hell out of them. I mean, especially with Karch, how do you not promote a three-time gold medalist? Right. Name so. another. Yeah. Name um, so few. I know there are, you know, certain track athletes and swimmers, but a, a, a team sport, name an athlete who can transcend so the yeah. success that Karch has absolutely in, in a, a team sport. But anyways, getting back to your time at Purdue. So you walk in and you're for your standards, a decent athlete that's kind of got a grasp on the game. So then how do you go about setting? Are you just gym ratting or are you watching other kids that are setting and trying to pick their minds or? Oh gosh, I wish Matthew, it was, um, I was at the end of the bench exactly where I should be my freshman year. Don't get me wrong. I, um, again, I'm so underskilled. And this is, this predates club volleyball. So, yeah. so remember, I'm only playing for like two months. For sure. In high school. high school. And, yeah. And then I go to the next sport and then the next sport. And, and there weren't the summer camps like there are now. It's just such a, so long ago. Uh, but fortunately, uh, Carol saw in some of my skills that thought that we'd be better suited. She might have thought I got to get something out of this player and her arm wasn't going to be good, ever going to be good enough to be a, a major league terminator. So she spent time training me how, how to set. But I, when you were talking about watching players, I was able to watch, it was an, a men's um, volleyball match between Ohio State and USC okay. in Columbus, Ohio. And Dusty Dvorak was the setter. There you go. And I, it's the first time I had ever watched an elite setter. And I, and I saw some of the things he was doing and I didn't know that that was possible. Right. So I went back to the gym and I just tried to do what he was doing. And I not very, you know, obviously not at that level, but I did try to, you know, I, I didn't realize how much more athletic you could be in that position. And I think it was, I just didn't know. I, I hadn't seen it. And you, you have to remember this, this is, pre, this predates everything. <laughs> no, for sure. I mean, even just in my time as a setter, just admiring and trying to emulate other people that I've witnessed in my lifetime and people that I grew up with, like Micah Christensen, for example, I just see how aggressive they are and how aggressive the position can be and everything they are because they are the personality of the group. So if they have that aggressive mentality, then everybody will have that aggressive mentality, I guess. But yeah, you're totally right. It's, it is really interesting how people see setting as a very passive skill where it's actually a really aggressive skill because you're kind of creating terminal action to happen. Yeah. I think you just, you described, you know, some of the greats. Yeah, I, I listened to your podcast with Lauren yeah. um, Carlini the other day and her creativity, which I mean, it's one of the best setters. I've been in this game long enough. I love um, having coached against Lauren, um, Misty May, two story, Long Beach State comes to, to Florida and we play them back to back nights. Okay. And we lose, they wax us in three the first night and we win in five the second. And Misty's like playing on one leg because she had, she needed, she had some cartilage that, um, she's hobbling around the court and yet she was the best, the best player to ever play in the O-Dome. And it was clear, even halfway injured. I think back on some of the elite setters that I've been blessed enough to, to coach against and the evolution of that 
position and the evolution of the women's game. You know, yeah. there are more women playing, they're better athletes playing. We did not lose all the great athletes to the WNBA that was feared. As a matter of fact, I could argue that some of the, that more great female athletes are playing the sport of volleyball than they are basketball and some others. I mean, there are elite, elite female athletes that have chosen volleyball and the game is better for it. Yeah, no, I agree. I, um, I know a lot of people have said that because of the way coaching has been approached in club and now we're, special, we're specializing so much more that it's kind of hindered the game of volleyball, but you see it at an incredibly elite level I mean, the Olympics, for example, or world championships, I think volleyball is the best it's ever been in all honesty. And I, I watch a lot of volleyball from the fifties all the way to now and where it's come and how it's developed. And I thought the eighties was probably the best era for a long time. And right now, the way that the game has evolved with serving and especially serve and serve receive has evolved so much just in the last probably 15, 20 years. It's amazing what some of these athletes are doing. Absolutely. I, and, you know, again, I can speak to just to the women's collegiate game because that's my, what I'm most familiar with uh, is just how much higher above the net the game is played. Right. And, you know, they talk about basketball is one above the rim. And I, I think that that is true of, of volleyball. Yeah. Um, yeah. And we have better and better athletes who are, who are playing so, so freakishly high above the net, which was not true. You know, when I was, uh, these Florida teams in the, in the early mid nineties, um, were playing just above the tape. <laughs> Do you, so going back to your story, then you graduate Purdue with, um, a bachelor's in physical education, which I think should come back. I think that, or sorry, that bat. I think that bachelor's degree should totally come back, because I know Marv got his, and phys- every I feel like every coach in that era had a bachelor's or yeah, in physical education. Did you know that you wanted to do some kind of teaching? Yes, yeah. That that piece was true. Um, the choice to go to Purdue was easy because when only one school recruits you and there's only one, and at the time there was five in my family, uh, come from a family of six, and there were five of us in college, it was going to be state school with, with, and that was it, yeah. um, unless, unless a scholarship uh, came my way. And only through luck and, and Carol and Kathy Stuckel saying no to Purdue and Carol Dewey taking a chance on an, an not highly skilled athlete um, that I ever end up there. Um, but I knew teaching was, was what I really wanted. And so here I go to Purdue. I'm from uh, originally just outside Chicago and I'm going to West Lafayette, Indiana, where I'm not from Indiana. I'm not an engineer. I'm not a farmer. Um, I, I'm looking through the majors and thinking this is not, but there was physical education and it was and then I also got a, a minor in, in um, history. And I thought, okay, at the time, I didn't know I'd go into college coaching, that I could teach history because that's, and coach. That was the thought I, I would do. But you're right. Um, we t- here in University of Florida, you, you no longer have that major. It has been cut. And I just think if how beneficial it was for me to be taught the fundamentals of teaching, of education. Yeah. And then, you know, if I can learn how to, to teach, then I could become, and then become as much proficient as I can in, in the subject, in the subject being volleyball. Absolutely. I remember Marv teaches a course actually at Pepperdine called the Fundamentals of Coaching. And so he has people come in all different types of coaching and you have to ask them all the tough questions, he says. So what do you do with the kid when he got, gets caught drinking? He gets caught smoking. He gets caught with some girl in his room. What do, you know, what do you do? What are the ramifications and stuff? And it was by far the best class I took. So it's just funny that you said the fundamentals of teaching because it's true. You, I mean, like anything probably in life or sport, you have to learn the fundamentals. Absolutely. I, I think every, co- every volleyball coach in the country 
would benefit from sitting in Marv's class. Oh yeah, it was it was a completely life changing experience for me for sure. And being one of his players, I had to get an A. Absolutely, you know, or you let him down. But no, it was great. You have you have this little core John Wooden course that he has aside for you and everything, which is great. So you get to learn a little bit about Wooden, just all these different personalities that come in, and there's no one right way. There's your way, and how you refine that is based on your personnel, your athletes, whatever it is. And that was also really refreshing to hear that there's no one right way to live your life or teach something. A hundred percent. I think there, there are some core values that are, that transcend all successful coaches, yeah. meaning that the, that they look, the person is more important than the player. And, and with those core values in place, person first then how you coach could need comes back to who you are and, to, and be authentic and true to yourself you know when i first got into coaching so um you know matthew uh speed past that my my uh career at purdue and we had success very fortunate i was surrounded by some great players um but my first head job okay now you ready for this you're at iowa state right yeah. Do you know how old I was? 21. <laughs> You're laughing and you just, yes, no, I'm 21. Be, I mean, you know, I would be shitting my pants at 21 to take a head coaching job. I was, but see, I didn't, I was so naive. You know, that line, I don't know what I don't know. Yeah. I didn't know what I didn't uh, know. And I didn't know a lot, but the one thing I did, I was just so blessed that I, that I work, I co I played for such a good person, a great coach, but even a better person. And so when I'm finding my way through this, I was trying to, it was like, like wearing the bracelet, what would Carol do? Yeah. Like she was, she was my role model. I didn't know what I was doing, but I had been, I saw how she, how she treated people and how, you know, some of the really key pieces organization and most importantly your uh, relationships with with players and staff and 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 other coaches and just trying to emulate that and but I learned early I couldn't be her um she is a very even keel quiet and that's just not my persona but those core values I learned from her those haven't changed for sure do you remember the first tough situation you had as it, as it, okay, as a, I did turn 22 okay. before, before our first match. Um, yeah, the first tough situation I had, this is awesome. We're driving the vans. It's our first match of the year. And we're going from Ames, Iowa to Northern Iowa. It's, I think it's like an hour and 15 minutes away. It's yeah. not that far. Okay, now Matthew, this is pre-GPS. You get this, right? <laughs> you actually, there was a day people actually took out a map. Maps. Yeah. So I looked at the map, I saw where it was, I got directions and I'm, we're heading up I-35 and I'm thinking I'm going to see the sign that I'd never see. We're almost to Minnesota before one of the seniors said, I think we may have um, missed our turn. So my first match as a head coach, I get us lost in the lead van to the match. We arrive late, rush through warmups. The, um, the uber successful coach, at Northern Iowa was a, a doctor named Dr. Araj Arabi Fard. It was his first match too. And he says to me before, he said, I just hope we can be competitive with your team. And I don't think he was sandbagging, but on purpose, but boy, did I take it as like, oh, oh, I'm sure you're going to be competitive. They came out and just rocked us in set one. <laughs> we won in a, in a five game screamer. I was he outcoached me every step of the way. He just didn't have the, the talented players as we did. So yeah, it was, I in a tough situation. I got our team lost. Now yeah. you want to try, you're trying to build credibility. You're 22, just a few months older than your seniors. And I get us lost. How about that? Yeah, for sure. That would be incredibly <laughs> nerve wracking and you can't say anything because it's completely your fault. Oh, I had to totally, you know, I, I totally own it. Now the players in the other van were laughing. The players in my van weren't, weren't saying a thing. Were seniors driving vans back then? 
No, we at least graduated from that and that they okay. would only have the, the trainer, you know, the one trainer and the one and, and me, but I'm only, <laughs> I'm no more qualified. Uh, it was no safer for me to drive than the players. For sure. I remember, I think Lee Nelson came on and said back when he was at Santa Barbara, they would drive the vans. They'd drive mm-hmm. them down to Malibu or down to USC or whatever it was, and seniors took over. Coaches got to hang out. It's your job. Don't worry about it. Hey, that's how you teach. You know, it's one way of teaching responsibility, right? For sure. Yeah, you crash the car, you pay for it. (laughs) (laughs) So then after Iowa State, you took some time off before you went back, before you went to Kentucky? Um, One, one fall season. Um, What, and that was when, um, uh, I was at Iowa state for those four years yeah. and, and then finally made a decision that my husband, who was a, a basketball coach at South university of South Florida. Um, and we met at Purdue, he was on the Purdue staff when they had their, their, uh, run, uh, went to the final four, had a great team. We, um, decided we were finally going to get married. Okay. And so I left Iowa State and thought I would start my master's at the University of South Florida, where he was an assistant. But a month after we got married, he took a small NAI head job in rural Kentucky and uh, where there was no volleyball at the school. Not only was there no volleyball in the school, there was no state championship, high school state championship. There was no volleyball wasn't even played. Yeah. I went to like the abyss of, of volleyball after we got married and that was one fall season and um, I missed it terribly. And I reached out to our AVCA executive director, Kathy DeBoer was the head coach of Kentucky. And I reached out to her. We had met because we played in a, in a, uh, a women's open um, tournament. Uh, a couple of time, a couple of weekends, they were picking up players and they needed a setter. And so I played with them and I reached out to her about, I'm going to go start working on my master's and could I get on her staff? Now, the, now what predated that is in September, that, that one fall where I'm not coaching, Mark and I are married, he's coaching. I reached out to Western Kentucky to see about being the volunteer coach. And I, um, I, I drove over there, met with the coach and, and it did not work out for him. So I, part of my path is to not get, um, I did not get hired as a volunteer coach at Western Kentucky. Um, well, yeah, you mean, you gotta have, you gotta have some setbacks. Uh, yeah. hundred percent. Yeah. So, but Kathy DeBoer, um, uh, she, had a, a GA position basically. And so I went from, again, my career, very, very different than most people start as a head coach, then go be a grad assistant at Kentucky. Fantastic five years um, to work with Kathy DeBoer. Uh, I think people see her now in the executive role and see what she does for our coaches organization. Yep. Well, imagine all of that energy and brilliance and time on one team. Now she also, um, the, the woman never keeps hours. I can tell you that she's, and she's phenomenal. And one of my best friends, uh, but those five years made me not only a better coach, but a better person. Um, Mark is now he, he, we tried two years of living apart and that was, we were making it, um, a hundred miles apart until, until I got pregnant with my first child and realized probably raising a kid is not going to work a hundred miles apart. So he actually left that job, the head job to be, and, and coached as an assistant at a, um, a NAI school in Lexington. So we're both in coaching. We're both in the same town, raising a kid. Wow. And then the Florida job comes open. And that's how I got to Florida. Awesome. What, what's one big thing you felt Kathy taught you? in becoming a better coach, becoming a better teacher. Oh, she taught me that really stands out to you. Yeah. um, It's a great question, Matthew. I would, I would have to say Kathy was so good about looking beyond the, the, the 
player to her to the person meaning she was so good about understanding where that player came from what her struggles were in life what she might not have learned in that family setting and and i i that i've taken that with me to understand that it know the person first to ever be able to understand who she is as a player and and once you can coach to the person and understand her struggles you know um we we coached some players at kentucky who had some really tough backgrounds and um and i'm not talking finance you know not just financially or economically but to understand who they are as a person i think it was really really helpful it's interesting that you bring that up because this whole time in my head, I've been thinking about your time at Purdue and how much perspective you must have gained as a kid that feels that they got lucky with the scholarship. They were at the bottom of the bench. They had to work their tail off to get where they are. And then going into another situation that provides you with even more experience or perspective through Kathy and probably other experiences you had. So then you go into Florida did you feel prepared at all for this job? Well, surely more prepared than my first head job. For sure. Um, so, so I go to the, the, into the Florida program with four years of head coaching, five years with Kathy. And, and again, it was like every day with Kathy was a lesson and a way to get, but she was so well-read. I mean, you asked for one thing, it's hard to come up with just one. I felt sorry, more prepared, but you know, until you're in that chair, in that school are you are you ever but but Matthew again I, how fortunate was I that um there was they had a great outside hitter uh my first at, at Florida that so I coached against her when we were at Kentucky yep. uh, by the name of Steffi Legal and Steffi was uh, originally from Germany and when I got the job she reached out to me and said one of her teammates from the the national program in germany was interested in coming to 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 the states and play and um would i be interested and so so here goody Staub, a two-time first team all-american comes in comes to florida and if that wasn't lucky enough uh the summer of my first year on the job there was a professor uh from from turkey who reached out and said his niece is here. She's in high school. Um, she plays on the Turkish junior national team, but she's a nanny um, and she's spending the summer with us. And she walked in, I got to meet her. It's so like six, three. Uh, I had no tape on her. I never saw her play. How crazy is this? I never saw her play. I had no access to video on her or whatever, but by knowing who she had played and where she had played, uh, the level she had played, and one look at the athleticism. Yeah, Ajahn Gukbach, one of the best players. She could, I said not that long ago in an interview, I think she would start for us today as a 40-something woman. She's <laughs> that athletic, that gifted. Um, oh my gosh, her in this woman's game today, she'd be phenomenal still yeah. yet. You guys... I mean, you guys went deep your first year. You guys went to the regional final your first year as a head coach. Did it get more, I mean, for me, did it get more nerve wracking every time you guys kept winning? Or was um, it more of a relief? You're like, oh man, maybe I am, I'm doing my job. I'm doing a good thing here. I think that, you know, Ellis, when you're chasing a team, LSU had two uh, fantastic. Oh my gosh. They had two great pin hitters, um, elite, elite players. You're talking about playing high above the net. These two did. And they went to back-to-back -back final fours. And so we were chasing them. They were the standard of which we were measuring ourselves. We only played one time and at Florida and we won in five could have gone either way, but that allowed us, um, to share the SEC title with them. And then they wax us in the tournament and then they beat us in the regional finals. But at least it gave us a taste of, okay, we're not that far away from the best in the league. Yeah. 
do you still use this is something that I think about actually pretty regularly in comparing and contrasting because sometimes it's lethal. But do you still, for you personally, do you ever think about, all right, I think we're right there with the best of them or do you care anymore? Or you just think about you guys? Um, you know, funny that you would ask that. Um, now, I so I, I've been listening to a, a Simon Sinek uh, podcast about and he talks about the finite and the infinite um game and about it, it, i highly recommend it and uh, and i think you know like successful companies look beyond the short term yeah. it's not just this quarter and what and i think as coaches you have to do the same that that i think you learn how you can't just coach for that that moment, what you're doing is you're trying to create many moments, but, but coach for the long term. For sure. And I didn't know that, that that was what I, you know, was set out to do early on. But I think if when meaning, if you coach for the short term, for the finite game, then you are, I think that's when coaches make poor decisions recruiting. I think Absolutely. that's when they jeopardize their integrity. I think that is, um, that's, I don't think that gets the best of us, but if you in it, like Mark, you know, you have, uh, here you have Mark Dunphy, you have such a quality, good person. Right. Who, and, and he never, that was never debate. He, he, he like he was uh, the, his authentic self and, and in grounded in such great personal core uh, traits that it transcends every year every team which i mean you you know better than i yeah no no i completely agree i think um i think stress really gets the best of people of what i've come to realize stress and money are two things that ultimately make people's decisions they lose morality mm -hmm. as soon as stress and finances come into the mix your morality goes straight out the window and i've seen that even with club coaches all of a sudden they tell this kid, Hey, this is what's going to happen. You know, I'm going to play you. And then all of a sudden, because something else didn't go right in the day or something didn't, you know, then that kid has to get screwed. Well, that's not the kid's fault, right? That's kind of your fault, but no, I totally agree. I I've noticed, I've seen a lot of co coaches coach to win that match, but ultimately they screw their player in the long term. That's right. You know, you can lose a player in a point, mm -hmm. you know, and uh, obviously it's built over time, but there's a breaking point for every person. And I've seen coaches do it. I've seen kids walk off the court or even my athletes too, that were, I can tell I'm like, Oh man, that's it. We just lost them or we lost her. And I don't know if we're going to be able to get them back. And yet if you coach for the long term your values, your core values are understood by the players. Absolutely. And so one incident is not going to, I, I've made mistakes. No, God, I make mistakes every day. Sure. But if I can identify them and own them and, and have a, a real apology for, with a player, hey, I, I own that. I mess, that substitution, I mess up, that is on me and I apologize but hopefully I have built enough trust with her that the apology, a sincere apology um, from Stephen Covey, the seven habits, a, a sincere apology can actually build more trust. Yeah. But, but to your point about stress, I think stress reveals um, our true selves. Yeah. Your character, huh? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Especially, uh... Playing abroad, it's something I've noticed with with any coach or players when it's time for a new contract. All of a sudden, you can see in everybody's eyes they're hungry and nobody's happy anymore and everybody needs to put food on the table, you know? And it's hard. It's really hard, obviously, as a professional because you need your contract. Sure. So a lot of people put themselves first when in reality, for me at least, if we win, it's a feast. If you win, you eat. 
if we win, we all eat. So why don't we all just win? And how, uh, oh, it, it's so it's so accurate of you uh, balancing, you know, the individual needs for those individual contracts yeah. against building a cohesive team. Absolutely, and I'm sure it's the same way in the collegiate game with kids who have a scholarship or kids who are fighting for a scholarship. It's probably, I mean, I don't know if they think about it, but maybe it's something in the back of their head where they think, I need this. I, I have I have to start playing better or whatever, you know? The In a perfect world, if I was czar of the volleyball, first of all, men's volleyball would get more scholarships because <laughs> it's ridiculous how few scholarships they have. And uh, when the libero position was added to the women's game, we did not get an additional scholarship. Oh, and, um, and, and we blew it. I still, to this day, if Kathy DeBoer had been in the leadership position at that, that moment in time, they were, the NCAA was, was like literally handing out scholarships to, to different sports to try and and make it more equitable with football right. and the rest and women's team. And so um, basketball took more sports, gymnastics took more uh, scholarships, gymnastics, basketball took more scholarships, volleyball did not. So on teams, we have, look at the, the roster size for the top average roster size for the women, top 25 teams is like 16 and a half players on 12 scholarships. So if I was our volleyball, First would be the men's game and that we would have 18 scholarships for the men, full scholarships. So you didn't have that. Oh, that's a lot of scholarships. I was hoping yeah, and, six. <laughs> and 18 for the women. That's what I would do. Yeah. I mean, how great would it be if school was just free and we could all just get educated? Mm-hmm. That now that, that now, you're, now you're talking. <laughs> yeah. That, that different, a higher level. That's definitely playing for the infinite game. And I am on board for that game. For sure. For sure. No, it's, um, it's also great and really relieving to hear coaches. Cause you seem genuine. I know I've, I hear a lot of coaches say, I try to embody my character in them and instill my values and stuff. But from what Carly said, she's, she said, you're all values. You're all morals. <laughs> and that's something that she's walked away from your program, which is awesome to hear. Because, I, I mean, playing for Marv and then having Maddie Bug in my corner as well and hearing about John Dunning and how much of a teacher he was and how much mm -hmm. of morals and values he instilled in them too. That's really cool. It's just great to hear that you guys aren't in it for the money. <laughs> it just feel it just that when there's a lot of money on the line, people lose it. it and it's yeah. easy. It's really easy to get caught up in it. You, you know, someday I've got to figure out how to articulate to young coaches, how to balance fighting for your budget, fighting for your own, you know, your contract, your own individual contract, because yeah. you're feeding your family. Yeah. But those, those skills to get more money and all, those aren't exactly the perfect skills for coaching your team. For sure. That feels more of a salesmanship. Yeah, but but how do you balance that? Right. I, it's the same with being a good recruiter and a good teacher. How do you do both? You know. And the answer is you you have to be true to yourself. Yeah. Those are core values and to be authentic. For sure. Yeah. I mean, because you want to get kids that work for your program. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I don't uh, I'm not really sure how it works, but I know that in the men's game it's becoming more apparent. People are stealing kids so that other programs don't take kids, which I think is wild because this is this is new for the men's game. But uh, I, I think, Matthew, we're going to see that with, with the NCAA trying to be more lax in terms of the transferring. Um, yeah, yeah. transferring is huge for the women's game. That's right. Yeah, look at men's basketball. They are every roster. There's so few four-year players because yeah. if they're good if they're good they're going to transfer up yeah and if they're not good they'll transfer down to where they can play right it's crazy i agree yeah for sure do you 
I have a question for you. When you have a kid that's not playing a lot and they knew that they weren't going to play a lot coming in and they feel that they're fighting and they're doing all the right things and they want to transfer, what? how does that discussion go for you? Well, hopefully we've had lots of discussions before that one. And that as my, you know, so much of my job is to help players understand where their game is today, the steps to, to evolve their game, what, and I was talking about, you know, make your strength your strength. So whatever that strength is, you got to bring that every day, make that great, and then grow the, the other parts of your game. But the things they can't not control are the talent around them. Sure. So if, so what I try real hard, you know, you're trying to build a roster is for them to see that you may not start your freshman year. We tell them you shouldn't start your freshman year. We should have better, you know, if we're doing our job, these yeah. players with collegiate experience should be better than you. And so it doesn't mean that's always happened. Kelly Murphy started as a freshman. We've had some elite players start as freshmen, but if I could just show them the path. Okay. So let's say no fault of their own, maybe a transfer comes in and that's happened. Somebody who, who came into our world unexpectedly, I look at it as it's four, you only get four years to play. And that pre-COVID, now we get, I guess, four and a half, um, is that, and they should be a special experience. And if, you're, if your experience to, is based on playing time, then let me help you find that school. Because the worst is if it's because of lack of playing time, then you cannot transfer to a school where that playing time isn't guaranteed. You know, yeah. So we look at that roster, we're gonna talk, let's be real here. And we've had some players, I think about this, we did it, we had a, um, this was a player who transferred a lot, you know, one of my first recruits and she just got, Again, no fault of her. She didn't know Goody was coming in. I didn't either. Um, the, and she transferred, but she came back to the uh, alumni weekend. She still, her degree oh. may not be from Florida. She transferred to Maryland, but she still comes back. She stays friends. And I, I that's how I want for every transfer is that's that good. you may not have ended here, but you started here. If you played for the Gators, you are part of our family. That's awesome. Wow. That's, that's unbelievable. <laughs> that's, hey, I've had, we so had a transfer, you know, I, I can't say, I don't want to make it sound so benevolent. It wasn't easy when a transfer left Florida and I didn't do a good job at the time, truly understanding her struggles, but came back and, and beat us and was on the team that beat us in the regional final. That wasn't exactly easy. Um, <laughs> Not easy at all. Does it, um, does that same, uh, I mean, obviously the wording is a little different, but when you have a good player that wants to transfer, is that more, does that hurt your ego a little bit more than a kid that you knew wasn't originally going to play from the start and knew would have to work into that role? I think you would be in denial if you said it, it wouldn't hurt. Um, that that only happened to us that one occasion, that one time. And I was, um, and it was young in her career. And I think, you know, I hear coaches say, you have to keep recruiting them to keep them. And I would hope it's better than that. I hope, I hope what we've created is that we did, we did a good job in recruiting to make a right fit. And if it's the right fit and they feel value, valued, no matter what their playing time is, they are valued as people, valued as players and their, their contributions to the program that transferring, that, that it wouldn't be on their mind. Now, I'm not going to kid myself. Every freshman probably thinks of it because at yeah. some point, right? Every freshman. Life. Every, every freshman yeah. thought of it. Yeah. But, so I don't know if it's so much recruiting as much as getting them invested in the program of understanding, trust the process, stay the course, your time will come. Yeah. And then I say, when your time comes, take full advantage of it. Um, but with the automatic transfer, not you meaning that the, without sitting out, um, 
a year and you know the port the, the transfer portal i think all sports are going to have to really evaluate how that how do you keep your players happy and i i'm not gonna i really i don't spend a whole lot of time with that i feel like if this is the right program for you i did my job identifying that you're going to stay the course yeah absolutely i mean there's no reason to try and get into some kid's brain when you can only control what you can control right or or you can't control who else is in that player's ears yeah absolutely so here's a another question for you and I know most coach, most coaches deny it, but I know it's a reality because I know Marv did it for us just in my four years. When you have good teams and you have great teams, do you, what do you, there's, you probably coach the same, but do you feel like there's, I don't know, I guess a little bit more of a sense of urgency with a great team where you know you can really make a push for a national championship versus a good team where you, I mean, now that you know, okay, this may be a second round team and we got it, we need a little bit more experience. How does training and everything and your mentality go into these different teams? Um, I'm going to go back to, it's a great question. And I think I'll go back to the infinite game that, that each year we, we take the team that we have and, and learn from the past, learn from whether that, that the year before had a, had a great run or not, but, and not just the previous year, but years in the past, learn from that, take our team and tr- try to be the best version of ourselves yeah. and not predict because you just don't know from one year to the next. Um, I have heard it from other coaches in other sports, maybe won a national championship with the team that wasn't quite as talented for sure, but, but you just don't know. You know, I think about our, our Oh three team that lost to that great, you know, uh, Mick had those fantastic USC teams that, yeah. that won back-to-back national championships. Our, that our Oh three team could have won the national championship a multiple years. Yeah, it just wasn't that year. Not that year against that USC senior laden team. No. Well, make, yeah, it makes total sense. It's winning. I mean, obviously, you have more experience with than I do. With I had four years, you have a couple more than I do. But it takes a lot. It takes great health, great mm-hmm. matchups, great mm-hmm. luck. Sure. Uh, I mean, and I think people overlook luck, but that is a huge component to winning it all. No question. No matter I said that, I mentioned that 03 team. We had one of the best middles in the country who who went down with ACL injury in October. You know, that's not great luck. And we still, we still advanced to the national championship match. If she hadn't. So you're, no question, we go into the NCAA tournament. Everyone's going in with wins, whether they won their conference tournament or they won a number of mat, you know, all the matches to get that large bid, but these are winning teams. And each time you advance, they're riding the, the success of the tournament, but matchups and luck. And, and you really don't have much control over those two. So you just control what you can and you get your team throughout the course of the season and in the off season preparing for that because we are judged in collegiate volleyball as you know we're judged by that those three weeks of the tournament yeah we are that's that's how team you know coaches will are will be judged in the long term that's how teams are judged fair or not that is the reality absolutely do you do you feel a sense of pressure when you go into these tournaments thinking about legacy at all or do you just say this is my team whatever happens happens you know the beauty that comes with age um you know i think about it the first time i met marvin he just seems so calm and confident you know like nothing would bother him and i think with age you it's like what else as i used to tell carly snyder i told her once she reminded me of this I told her once, I've seen it all. I've coached long enough. I've seen it all. There's nothing I haven't seen. She texts me during COVID and she goes, do you remember that time you told me you've seen it all? 
Very funny, Carly. You got it was exactly right. So every time I think I've had it all, but but I think with age you come with more comes perspective. I yeah. hope would come perspective, and I certainly didn't have perspective early on where I thought my value not only as a coach but as a person was wrapped up in my win loss record, which is so so bad for your mental health for your family. You can't. It is it, my record as a coach has nothing to do with me as a person as do with my job. Yeah, absolutely. But not me, not me as a mother, as a wife, as a, not a chance. And so, but boy, is that hard to do in coaching. For sure. And, was, and, was there a moment for you where that clicked or did it just come over? To, Cause that seems like there's a moment where you just think. I, I, wish, I wish I could tell you a defining moment. Um, but it really, sadly, it really wasn't. Um, I think it helped, you know, I mean, every, every you know, uh, my husband had a really bad cancer that we, we just, you know, it was like hitting a brick wall and we got through that. And I would like to say that moment, but no, it wasn't even that. I just think it evolved over time yeah. with a sense of, I'm highly competitive. I don't want to lose any match, For sure, but if man. we lose this match, that that doesn't define these players as who they are as people. Well, then it can't. It should define a coach the same way. I agree. Well, it the thing is, is it totally does when you're in it as a player. And we've talked about this on this this podcast a couple of times, where these kids that have an incredible amount of perspective and they've acknowledged their self worth as people versus athletes at a young age, those are the ones that end up being the greats because they get it when they walk in their freshman year and they don't think here's my life. It's a pie chart. Here's my social life. Here's my family. Here's my relationships, whatever. They just walk in and they understand who they are and the rest just comes, which is, I'm (laughs) sure you've had probably not. There's not a lot of kids like that that you've probably met, but the ones that I've come across, they're all Olympians now. And I just think, man, you guys got it. I don't know how you guys got it so early, but you guys really understood. I think someone can do a study. I would guess a lot had to do with how they were parented. Probably. I think that comes with, you know, understanding your self-worth and what that's tied to. And that's more tied to how you treat others and, and how you take on responsibility and a whole lot of things that had nothing to do with how many kills you got in a match. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and how your parents probably reacted to you winning or losing post-match mm-hmm. and put mm-hmm. that self-worth on you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I completely agree. I hadn't really thought that far in advance. I've just been analyzing these incredibly astute young athletes, the Phelpses of the world or the Tiger Woodses of the world and obviously the thing is, is when you're too young, you fall because everybody's got a vice. So you just hope that you either find it really early and you figure out how to deal with it or you never find it at all, you know, but you see these, these tremendous athletes, the Tiger Woods, Phelps of the world, and they, everybody kind of crashes and falls at some point in time. They don't have a, Yeah. It's hard when you're, you, you talked about the, if that is, if it's a mono-focused, yeah. there's, then there is no balance. For sure. Yeah. And that's easy in sport. If, uh, mm-hmm. if that's your identity. Correct. That, that's another thing that probably, that's probably hard as a coach too. If your entire identity is coaching. Right. That's, that's tough to go to sleep. It. it like I said, I, I early in my career, I just, I tied myself worth based on whether we won or lost. I would, if we lost a match, there's no way I wanted to go out to dinner later that weekend and be seen in public. Yeah. You, like crazy, crazy thoughts. And, <laughs> and, and then, but then finally came around and, and I think having kids helps with this because yeah. they don't care, you know, when, when he came home from a match and that two-year-old needed mom time, he didn't really care what the score was. For sure. 
And I think that that provides perspective as well. For sure. Every coach should have to be a parent of babies, of toddlers. <laughs> I'll make sure to keep that in mind. At some point in your career, you want to, because it coach, you know, in coaching, it's not about you. And it's so important that you not make it about you. It is about them. And boy, nothing like says it's about them than, than an infant. For sure. <laughs> totally. <laughs> well, Mary, I, I think we're good here. Okay. I, don't, I enjoyed I, it, Matthew. I don't want to keep you too long because I know you have in a season. Of yeah. Oh, opening up a week from tomorrow. Well, we're cheering for the Gators, that's for sure. And I, I appreciate